we're going to do an interview of people who do interviews here. Um, <laughs> so um, TYT Investigates is in the house. Uh, Ken Klippenstein, Jonathan Larson, senior investigative reporter, and Jonathan is our managing editor. Uh, and uh, you guys have broken a lot of stories recently, uh, and ones that affect the election, uh, ones that are about Saudi Arabia. So, man, you guys are all over the news and, and even more. My favorite is actually the prayer breakfast one. I, I want to come back to that in a little bit. Uh, but, Jonathan, uh, you guys broke a story about Rick Scott recently in conjunction with The Intercept. Yeah, uh, we, we, we partnered up with The Intercept for that one. That's right. Yeah, so what was that story? So that story was, it's a, it's a little complicated, and you probably are better at talking about this than I am. But basically, uh, so Rick Scott is currently the governor. And back in 2016, he was, at the, he was running a super PAC that was a pro-Trump super PAC. And he got, uh, for the super PAC, a half million dollar uh, donation from uh, Stephen Feinberg, the head of the Cerberus private equity firm. One week after... Feinberg donated half a million to this pro-Trump super PAC. The state of Florida and the agency uh, that oversees uh, the state's pension fund investments put a $200 million investment in the hands of Cerberus. Okay, so now that would appear to be a, as a, a thank you for the campaign donation, um, uh, but did Cerberus do anything afterwards uh, additionally to help Rick Scott? One month later, they donated 975000 an additional 975000 to the super PAC, super PAC. Okay, so it's your guy's job to break these stories in an objective way. It's my job to say, are you kidding me, right? Are you, Jesus Christ, how obvious is that bribery? You give campaign donation to the guy who goes, oh, yeah, okay, I'm, am I going to give you money back? No, I'm going to take the money of the... The good people of Florida, and I'm going to give it back, give it to the guys who bribed me, and then afterwards they'll say thank you very much. Here's another bribe, okay? And now, unfortunately, these are legal. <laughs> Money in politics is insane. You have to end the private financing of elections, otherwise, of course they're going to give away your money. Okay, so anyway, but I love that you guys bring the facts to it, and, so, and let me make the argument. But I don't, I literally don't even know. I mean, it's cute for the right wing to say, "Oh, uh, money is speech," and and they're just talking to the politicians. How about the two hundred million dollars that went out the door? Was that also speech? Right, two hundred and four point nine actually, because the state has paid four point nine million in fees because the the private equity funds they charge much higher fees, and actually the return on investment for that fund's investment was lower than if they had just invested in the S and P five hundred. I remember the story; it was about a third. Of what they could have gotten if they yeah, just something put, like seven percent as yeah. opposed to twenty point five or something for the S and P right. five hundred over the same. So um, on the upside, you, uh, the good people of Florida got a third less than they could have <laughs> if they paid nothing or almost nothing. The rates are very yeah. low uh, yeah. for the index funds. Yeah. Uh, okay, so these guys will do stories that make you go. Uh. <laughs> so uh, Ken, uh, you broke the story about the top national security advisor for Ted Cruz, another election. That's coming up. Uh, so who is this lovely gentleman? His name is Omri Sarin. Uh, so this is his national security advisor, as you said. And you would think that, um, you know, you want this person to have some sort of ethics and foreign policy. But what we found was that um, he was doing PR work for the government of the Ivory Coast. And at the time that he was doing it, um, the president had lost an election, refused to step down. There was a crackdown. There was violence, including 
um, you know, rape, extrajudicial killings, all kinds of horrible things. And uh, that uh, this was the administration that they were doing, um, that they were carrying water for. So uh, that seems the indefensible. Guy's now, the guy's now on trial at The Hague. Which, this was back in 2010 that mm -hmm. this happened. And for what happened at the time, He's now on trial for what is it? Crimes against humanity. That's right. And uh, this right wasn't now. a long-time crusade either. He picked him about six months ago. So this would all be stuff that I would assume, if they had done any sort of due diligence, um, they would have seen. You know, um, I, I just realized, uh, and and I and it's a terrible story to take a, a funny twist to, but uh, that Ted Cruz is called a Zodiac killer, right? <laughs> and so he's not. But his top national security advisor is literally, literally at the time, represented a guy who was a mass murderer and who's on trial now for crimes against humanity. So he might not be the Zodiac killer, but I think he hired him, right? So again, Omri didn't do the killings himself. He's a he's a lobbyist, and and he worked for that guy. But and and you'll love this aspect. Yeah. And just to be fair, he was actually working for Lanny Davis. Yes, and Lanny Davis is Democrat. Is a Democrat, a longtime Clinton ally, and one of the worst people in Washington. And they didn't say that. I'm saying it. Okay, uh, they. But they. Can you wind up uh, calling Lanny Davis? And you got a bunch of interesting quotes. And he defended Omri, and he defended himself. So. Uh, what was his defense of working for this dictator? Well, to his credit, he spoke with me, which Omri refused to. And I tried a number of times to get in touch with Omri. Um, in any case, Lenny Davis told me um, kind of you know how much money they made doing it, what exactly um, Saren's responsibilities were. And this was largely interfacing with press to try to, I mean, he was straight about it, try to say that this president who refused to step down um, was the legitimate leader. And he tried to make a legal case for why it doesn't matter that um, you know the election didn't turn out in his favor. How much were they getting paid at the time? I don't recall the exact figure, but it was. Uh, it, it, do you remember, Jonathan? Yeah, I, I, I don't want to. Well, yeah, I'm. I'm pretty sure. It, 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 yeah, it was a. It ended up being a very short period. But of that's time. because there was so much negative press. Right. They try to act like, oh, it wasn't a whole lot. But there was a story in the New York Times um, at the time about the work that um, Davis was doing. They right. didn't mention Omri Sarin. Right. And after that, they had to withdraw because there was just too much public pressure at the time. Right. And we'll put the links to all these articles down below if you're watching this later on YouTube, Facebook. Uh, and, and obviously, you could get it at tyt.com slash investigates. And, uh, but my recollection of it, and you could read it for yourself, my recollection was that you're getting about $100,000 a month. That's, that sounds right. I believe that's what right. it was. Right. Yeah. So $100,000 a month, and all of a sudden, mass murder seems a little bit more defensible. And so, and unfortunately, again, it's not just about Lanny Davis or Omri Sarin. This, a lot of people represent a lot of dictators in Washington and a lot of bad governments. Uh, and, and Manafort, of course, famously uh, convicted for representing another, and not a mass murder, to be fair, but a pr pretty unsafe, to be fair, <laughs> like, but a very unsavory pro-Russian government in right. Ukraine. And by the way, the guy uh, that also represented them was Tad Devine, who worked for Bernie Sanders. So, you, so that that doesn't help me politically, or or you know, it doesn't help the progressive side politically, but just the facts, ma'am, right? And that's what we do. We we cover the facts. Whether it's uh, "quote unquote" helpful or not to anyone's cause, uh, and so speaking of which, uh, the prayer breakfast uh, before yeah. we get to Saudi Arabia, uh, this is also bipartisan. Um, yeah. And so, first, Jonathan, what is the prayer breakfast? And before we get to uh, what they're up to and what you guys uncovered, right? So the national prayer breakfast, I believe it's usually February or March, and it's it's a ritual. It's a it's a it's a very big uh, central event in Washington, um, and it's uh, where both parties come together. 
And there's, there are, uh, I believe it's one year it's senators and next year it's uh, uh, representatives who co-chair it. And it's always one Republican, one Democrat. So it's co-chaired by members of Congress of each party. And the president often, if not always, attends and or speaks at the thing. And so, <clears throat> yeah, as you were saying, it, it is a bipartisan thing. And the idea is to come together in a spirit of fellowship. And it's it's sponsored by, paid for, uh, paid by this group called the Fellowship Foundation, which, which got a lot of attention, I think, back in the 2000s. There were sex scandals involving members of Congress who were sort of like seeking redemption at the Fellowship Foundation, at the house that they have mm-hmm. there. And mm-hmm. so... It got a lot of attention then, but, but yeah. re- religious people yeah. f- uh, feigning uh, morality to cover up for their sex scandals in Washington. No, I can't believe it. That's you saying that. <laughs> That's right. Okay, but uh, you guys uncovered something recent. First of all, there was the story of uh, Marina Butina. Well, that right. Yeah, please tell so, that part because that's yeah. where I was going. Yeah, yeah. And, and before we get to to what you guys uh, added on top of that story, but she started going to the National Prayer Breakfast, which is very strange. She was sent in, uh, according to our authorities, by the Russian government to do that, and she also went and talked to the NRA. So. Uh, Jonathan, remind me what she did at the prayer breakfast and who she became buddies with. So the interesting thing about, so there was that charging document from the FBI and everyone went nuts about the NRA connection. But when you actually read it, the Fellowship Foundation, which isn't named, right? Neither is the NRA, they use these euphemisms. But the the prayer breakfast and all that actually plays a more prominent role. Now they don't name any of the specific people, but they talk about Butina going there and not just seeking connections but making connections. So so people unnamed we still don't know were were helpful to her in making connections. And and one of the things we found out was that uh, this was it was already publicly known that this congressman Bob Adderholt he met with um, uh, people representing Manafort's Ukrainian client in uh, in in DC. And the part that we found out, and so the, the reason Adderholt plays into this is because the Fellowship Foundation, in addition to the breakfast, they also sponsor trips by members of Congress overseas to participate in other religious activities. Bob Adderholt, the guy Manafort's clients were meeting with, uh, excuse me, yeah, Manafort's lobbyists, I guess. Adderholt was far and away the number one guy sent by the Fellowship Foundation overseas, including to Eastern Europe including to Ukraine. And what we figured out by looking at the travel records was it wasn't just uh, Manafort's lobbyists in Washington. The people who were paying Manafort, Adderholt met with them in 2016 in, in Ukraine. And so, in various other Eastern European governments that you know could be yep. said to be pro-Russia. So look, there's another twist to that story, which actually bothers me even more. Uh, and, and I want to get to that in a second. But on that one, why? What does the fellowship get out of supporting a bunch of lobbyists who are making a ton of money representing unsavory foreign governments? So they're not they're not supporting the lobbyists, right? They are they're paying for Adderholt's travel. And he The lobbyists Ad- are paying for the or the no, fellowship. No, the fellowship. The yeah, fellowship. right. That's right, what right. I'm saying. Fellowship is paying for the travel. Right. So I get if they want to go on religious uh, trips that I don't agree with, which right. is the second part of the story, right? Right. 
But what's the tie to the to the it's to, it's not clear. Like we, uh -huh. we we don't we don't know any of this stuff yet, and hopefully some of this will come out. But the other thing is there's there are a lot of different elements in play here, right? It's there were there were genuine unique to Ukraine forces going on with Viktor uh, Yanuk, uh, yeah. Yanukovych. Yanukovych, thank you. Um, you know, he, he, I think, lost power in 2014, right? So he was trying to keep power for himself. So he had very specific, you mm -hmm. know, needs. Russia, I think Ken found this out, Russia was, Russia has, as the affidavit says this, that Russia had an interest in trying to prevent former Soviet bloc countries from joining the EU. And the Fellowship Foundation was sending people over there who were meeting with um, anti-gay leaders. Yeah, right. exactly, exactly. Whose policies would keep those countries out of the EU. Yeah, so there's, there's so more, many intersecting, there, right, yeah, we don't there's, know. There's still uh, something to be uncovered there. Because yeah. for the religious zealotry, I get, I get their motivation, right? right. Why they'd wanna help uh, uh, people who are not religious zealots but spend a lot of money in America on lobbyists, that's a different question. And so we're, there's still more to, 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 to look into there. But let's talk about the zealotry. So Ken, they also go on these trips and push uh, an anti-LGBT agenda sometimes with uh, foreign governments, is that right? That's exactly right. And that's one of the um, sort of pressure points that Russia in the past has used to try to you know, back reactionary religious figures saying, um, you know, if you align with us, unlike the, you know, godless EU, you can retain this uh, kind of religious character to, you know, whatever perceived uh, uh, historical or cultural identity they think they might have. I think BuzzFeed had a story uh, several years ago where they basically showed that the, the propaganda message coming out was basically, if you join the EU, you know, your son is gonna be marrying a boy kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Right, and I remember that story as well, but so, the fellowship is paying for the Republican congressman to do what? Go over here, meet with um, you know various political leaders, and I found um, um, not all of them were like this, but kind of reactionaries, um, uh, people. There's that guy, the anti-Semitic. Right, and yep. it, an individual who had made outrageous anti-Semitic remarks and represented a far-right bloc, uh, I can't remember the country at the, at the moment, and um, someone else who had uh, made uh, really shocking anti-LGBT statements about how you know gays are going to rend the rend the country. So there's definitely a sort of reactionary character to a lot of these um, political figures that they're meeting with. And it, what I was struck by was uh, it sort of reflected, uh, in in my opinion, um, Bannon's approach. Uh, you, you see, he's traveling through Europe uh, and Eastern Europe, trying to meet with uh, what he perceives could be this new far right um, political wave. And so I would say it, it sort of slots into that. Now, I'm not saying that uh, you know, Bannon is involved in this, but uh, just to draw a sort of parallel. Yeah, so Democrats still go to this national prayer breakfast, yeah, okay. uh, even though the fellowship pays for right-wing Republicans to go spread anti-LGBT uh, ideology throughout the world. I just wanna understand the facts. Well, they right? have paid for Democrats to, to go as well. I don't, I don't, I mean, we looked at all of the disclosed travel and certainly in recent years, it's been much more Republican slash Adderholt focused. Mm -hmm. And um, it used to actually be sort of Central America. There was a lot of, of involvement there. Now it's much more sort of Eastern European, maybe Baltic, that kind of thing. Yeah, I think there's more questions to be asked of the Democrats who participate in that prayer breakfast if they're 
down with that uh, message that's being spread throughout the world with fellowship money. But we'll and we'll we're get still, to that. We're still working on. We're still there's stuff we're still looking. It's the joy at. of investigative reporting. You'll get uh, you know a story and you'll get part of it and then you won't quite see all of it and you're just sitting there thinking, ah, oh, I wonder what that thing is that I can't quite find and then you'll get it a year later. Or so see that's why you're an investigative reporter because <laughs> <laughs> you're the guy who goes, ah, oh, I wonder what's happening there. Oh, it's so frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's speaking of ah, let's talk, let's talk about Saudi Arabia. Uh, so even before the Khashoggi uh, stuff came out, we bro uh, broke a bunch of stories. Uh, so uh, there was the story about uh, training pilots uh, here in the U.S. Ken, what, what was that about? So at the exact same time that um, the Defense Department and uh, Secretary of Defense Mattis was, um, you know, uh, trying to express sympathy for the child victims of this horrific bus bombing. There's photos of it that you can see with backpacks splattered with blood. All of the children on the bus were underage, I think nine or something, completely indefensible. I can't imagine anyone thinking that's okay. So even the Trump administration had to come out and say something about it. The same time that he's paying lip service to, you know, we're gonna make it so the Saudis are more careful and we care so much about all this great, about human rights and all these great things. Um, I found that um, we were soliciting a training of uh, Saudi pilots on US soil. So that made me really angry and I tried to get that story out as quickly as I could, fortunately, um, to their credit, Senator Sanders picked up the story and was able to um, boost it. And after that, it seemed to get a lot of attention. But I just thought it exposed as a f total fraud uh, the Trump administration's, you know, alleged concern for civilian casualties in, in Yemen. Jonathan, uh, Michael Tracy uh, also broke a story about uh, helicopters going. Yeah, to that was a, that was a while back actually, uh, because again, like pre Khashoggi, we've been institutionally invested in. You know, people are dying in Yemen. And so um, the story essentially was uh, finding out that American-made combat helicopters were being used by the Saudis in Yemen. Mm -hmm. Yes, and, and not to good effect. Uh, and it, it, it's, look, again, my opinion is that it's deeply depressing that the murder of a journalist, which is horrific, and I, I understand why it got the attention that it did, and we've been covering it nonstop as well. But why that trumped thousands of innocent lives being lost in Yemen, uh, and that got nowhere near the same attention. Uh, but uh, but like you said, you guys have been on top of it from day one. In fact, Ken, uh, back to you. You uh, broke a story about how we're training them on how to run prisons. Oh boy, that's right. Not just prisons, women's prisons. And what's the mm -hmm. significance of that? Well, under this, uh, you know, new leader that Washington was heralding, uh, you know, both government and people like Thomas Friedman, the New York Times heralding is, uh, you know, going to bring the, all these progressive reforms and everything to Saudi Arabia. There have been more women, according to the Human Rights Watch, uh, who I spoke to for the story. There have been more women uh, imprisoned for activist crimes, like us, you know criticizing the government, women driving, things like that, under this administration than under any other administration in, in living history. And they told you it's been accelerating, right? It's been going up, I mean, increasing. Yep, it continues to ramp up, and so that's exactly what we're training them. I'm not saying we're necessarily training them in you know, imprisoning um, activist women, but those are the, uh, that population has just skyrocketed, according to Human Rights Watch. And, uh, and we obviously uh, tragically saw what sometimes Saudis do to detainees. Uh, you know, in Khashoggi, they detained, obviously. And I want to say again, we bring Saudi uh, uh, prison guards and, uh, and officials back to the U.S. to do this. So this isn't even just us sending us a contractor there. 
And, uh, you know, that really upsets me. I mean, I, you know, I'm a journalist, so I try to stick to the facts, but it's really hard to look at this stuff, knowing Saudi Arabia's human rights record, knowing that this is happening in our own, you know, backyard, it really disgusts me. And there's, there's, I mean, in the, I'm not defending anyone, but the contract specifically says that the, the training is uh, going to ensure that the highest human rights standards are met or, you know, that they conform to the, you know, international norms about It's the same human argument rights. they but, have. But it also raises a bigger question about, well, how do we know? How are we supposed to know? There's no monitoring. There's no transparency. So is this part of a, if you're really making that commitment, is that part of a bigger engagement now with that Saudi system? Or is that just total lip service? And bear in mind, this is the same rhetorical technique they're using for why we're supporting the airstrikes in Yemen. They're saying, oh, we're actually going to help them to make it more accurate. And we're going to ensure that they don't, Yeah, how's that working out? It's the exact same thing. And now they're saying with the prisons, we're going to help them to make the prisons better. I don't believe it personally. I mean, look, uh, again, I'll give you my perspective on it. Uh, on the one hand, I, I hear what they're saying with that, what Jonathan said, hey, look, better that we train them than some monster somewhere else trains them or, or that they go untrained and they continue to do what they're doing, et cetera. On the other hand, would we be okay, and maybe in these days we might, but would we be okay in training the North Koreans on how to run their detention camps? Right. I hope not. Right, and in this case, especially with the female prisoners, they are actively jailing women rights activists as we speak, and so we're basically training them on at least how to treat the political prisoners that they have captured. And, and again, uh, not a good history of that. Uh, certainly, recently with, with Saudi Arabia and how they treat their political prisoners and ones that shouldn't have been uh, political prisoners in the first place. So, uh, all right. Amazing stories and a lot more where that came from at tyt.com slash investigates. Uh, I love that you guys are out there on the watch and uh, and uh, uncovering these stories that no one else is. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you.